Good morning. Welcome to All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church. Are you in the right place? Okay. Uh, I want to thank everybody for choosing to spend this Sunday morning with us. In this congregation, in this tradition, we believe we don't have to think alike to love alike. That by diversity and community, we can actually deepen the experience and learn better how to walk in reverence and compassion for the world. I don't see people who need the information about the visitor's cards. Um, I would like to invite all of you to read what's in your announced inserts in your in your programs. Um, also, please, if you have access to computers, be sure that you get the newsletter. There's a whole lot of stuff in there that you're not going to find out about any other way because we try to keep our announcements as brief as possible and because we don't have other meetings to discuss that business or events. I believe we had a successful building and grounds work day yesterday, though they need our participation more often. I can't talk. I'm in church. Don't text me either, okay? I'm about to turn my phone off. I was rude. <laughs> Off, please. Silent. Off. Breathe. Recognize that for this hour, you don't have to worry about anything else. This is a safe place, a place for your spirit to connect with that which is deeper. Bring back into your awareness the wonder of life. And let us be together in the spirit of worship. Behaving, believing, belonging. According to Rabbi Mordecai Kaplan, these are three defining qualities of a faith tradition. As we seek to grow a Unitarian Universalist identity in you, whether you are five years old or 95, we are called to consider all three in balance. We are a people of covenant. We make covenants, sacred promises to each other in our very youngest classes, among the adults of our congregations, and between our congregations in association. 
we choose belonging in this community. Therefore, to the greatest extent possible, we choose to behave in a way that is in right relation to this community. And even in a creedless faith, we too know the importance of belief, beliefs we have freely adopted and challenged and tested, beliefs we have shared here as we have listened and learned about the beliefs of others, and as we have listened to our own hearts. The great 20th century religious educator Sophia Foz has said, it matters what we believe. To which I would add, it matters how we behave. It matters that we belong. I want to tell a story this morning about someone from the history of our faith, Reverend Theodore Parker. And the adults who have taken the new UU class have heard this story, and the ones who are taking it now We'll hear a much more detailed version of the story, and we'll get to pick the story apart a lot more and talk about a lot more aspects. So if you think, I am all checked out on that story, I don't need to go to class next time, no. Trust me, you want to come to class, and maybe you'll want to even more after you hear the story. This is a story of Theodore Parker, one of those people who believed, belonged, and behaved according to his Unitarian principles. He was determined whatever he could do, to do whatever he could do to end slavery in the United States. This is also the story of another Unitarian, Millard Fillmore. He was the president of the United States. He became president in 1850. But before that, we go back a couple of years. This is also the story of two slaves, William and Ellen Craft. They made a plan in 1948 to escape. They were living near Macon, Georgia on a plantation and they made a plan to escape. And the way that they did it, they knew they were going to have a vacation pass for Christmas. When I first heard this story, I didn't even realize this existed. Vacation passes for slaves, for holidays. But the system was so entrenched, the system was so set up, that the, the masters would kind of be magnanimous in this way because they knew the other plantation owner was going to be watching out and they knew the slave hunters who were cruel, ruthless people were going to be watching out. So this system was so entrenched throughout the South that they didn't worry about these people having a Christmas vacation pass. So they were going to go to Savannah to visit relatives. Only when the train got to Savannah, they disguised themselves. Ellen was very light-skinned, so she disguised herself as an old white man. And so who do you think William was in this? In Her slave. That's right. William disguised himself as her slave. And they got on another train. They, they were helped by people from the Underground Railroad. They got money. They got on another train. And by Christmas Day, miraculously, they had arrived in Philadelphia. They spent three weeks there with a Quaker a farmer, a Quaker farmer and his family, before they went on to Boston. And they found a home in Boston, 
William found a job as a cabinet maker, and Ellen, who was an excellent seamstress, found work doing that. And they lived with a man named Lewis Hayden, who was a free black man. And his boarding house was kind of a receiving place for escaped slaves, slaves that had come through the Underground Railroad from the South. And quickly, kids, one of you tell me quickly what the Underground Railroad was, in case somebody doesn't know that. It was, and how did it work? Tell me just a, like, short, briefly, how it worked. She ran it. She ran it. <laughs> she was very good at it, but there were people along the way at various stops that, that the slaves knew about. They knew the safe houses. They knew the safe places, and there were sometimes symbols on the trees. There were different ways of knowing um, songs. There were all kinds of different ways of knowing um, what was a good stop on the Underground Railroad. Um, Anyway, the Crafts found a home in Boston, and they found a home in Theodore Parker's church. And Theodore Parker was so anti-slavery that he actually kept a pistol in his pulpit in case slave hunters were to show up. He was a man of peace, but he was also going to defend these people that had worked so hard to gain their freedom. So September of 1850, Congress passes what's called the Fugitive Slave Law. And this not only provided for the return of slaves to their masters in the South, but it required private citizens in the North to assist in their capture. So abolitionists in Boston, people who were against slavery, organized a big resistance there. And they organized something called the Vigilance Committee, and there were blacks as well as whites on this committee. And Theodore Parker wrote an angry letter to President Fillmore telling him the story of the crafts and how they escaped. And he challenged him. He pretty much said, come and get them. You know, I challenge you to enforce this law. And he told the president, I will obey the laws of God even if it means breaking the laws of man. Now here's the weird thing. We're we're, we're starting to look at Millard Fillmore kind of as the bad guy here, aren't we? But Millard Fillmore was very much against slavery, very much against it. So, and yet he would not veto the law. He felt like Congress had passed the law. It was the law of the land. He had to respect that. So you can argue with that decision, and many of us have over the years, no question about it. But he felt like He needed to endure the institution of slavery. He said, I detest slavery, but we must endure it and give it protection as guaranteed by the Constitution till we can get rid of it without destroying the last hope of free government in the world. He really believed so strongly. He was kind of a constitutional purist here, I guess. And since that amendment hadn't been added yet, he was going with the Constitution that he was working with. So the Fugitive Slave Law stated that the government had a responsibility to protect property. And the law said that slaves were property. And so Millard Fillmore felt obligated to uphold the law. Theodore Parker acted according to his principles, and when the slave hunters came, he thwarted them at every turn. These guys stayed in town for a long time, and they were 
I mean, at times they were bodily threatened. I don't know that they were never actually beaten, but they were threatened. And the crafts were moved all over town in this kind of spy game, just to stay away from the slave hunters. So Theodore Parker hadn't wanted to put this at the, at the center of his ministry. Spiritual growth and comfort of his parishioners and all of those kinds of things were very important to him. But this mattered more. He realized if he was going to act according to his principles, if he was going to behave as a Unitarian minister, this was something that he had to do, and it became the center point of his life. And each week, his sermons were heard by more and more people. There was even one sermon that he... Um, spoke that a speechwriter for Abraham Lincoln happened to be there, and he said something like that the government should be of the people and by the people and for the people, and that kind of sounds familiar now, doesn't it? So believing, believing that what you're doing is right, both he and the president were doing that, behaving, behaving according to what you believe. And creating that sense of belonging, because when the crafts got to Boston and got to Theodore Parker's church, they knew that they belonged. And over the years, we have evolved our faith to the same kind of covenant that we keep with each other. And we'll now do the responsive reading of our UU principles, our Unitarian Universalist principles. It's an insert in your order of service. And if we could, the adults will read um, the adult words, and then the children's words are beside that, and the children and youth can read those, and maybe a couple of the teachers can join them in those. We covenant to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Every person is important and valuable. Justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. All people should be treated fairly. Acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations. Our churches are places where we accept one another and learn together. The free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Every person should be free to search for what is true and right. The right of conscience and the use of the democratic process in our congregations and in society at large. All people have the right to vote on things that matter to them. The goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. We should work to build a peaceful, fair, and free world. And our second through fifth graders, we must take care of the earth, the home we share with all living things. 
I can't believe I had left the seventh principle off of my copy. Oh. Our second through fifth graders have, have created a covenant in their classroom, and our principals also are covenant, so they would like to tell you about that. Principle one, every person is important and valuable. Our covenant says respect other people's opinion. Principle two, all people should be treated fairly. Our covenant says be nice. Principle three, our churches are places where we should accept one another and learn together. Our covenant says listen when others are talking. Principle four, each person should have, should be free to search for what is true and right. Respect other people's opinions. Principle five, all people have the right to speak out and vote on things that matter to them. Our covenant says, let other people speak. Principle six, we should help build... We should help to build a peaceful, fair, and free world. Our covenant says help other people. Principle 7. We need to take care of the earth, the home we share with all living things. Our, what is it called? Our, covenant? our covenant says clean up after ourselves and have good hygiene. In gratitude for this place where covenant calls us to behave as our very best selves, where conscience calls us to believe as our free and responsible search has led us, and where community calls us into belonging, we now offer our gifts that our spiritual home may remain. I invite you to join me in the spirit of prayer. Source and spirit of all life, holy, creative spirit living in each of us and all around, we are thankful for this community and all that it means to each of us. Help us to live as embodied love, to behave as if we believe that that is our only real choice, and to live fully into a holy sense of belonging. May we seek justice where injustice might otherwise prevail. May we practice kindness and restraint, even when impulsive anger pretends to serve us. Keep close to our hearts those who are suffering with pain of the body, mind, or spirit, and all those who cannot be here with us today. We pray for safe journeys for the travelers and swift and smooth healing for all who are ill or injured. 
we hold them all and each other and ourselves in the light of love as we enter the silence. In learning what it means to be Unitarian Universalists, we sometimes need to look at what's been said about us in jest and whether or not the jest is just. Our middle school and high schoolers have looked at a few from the vast collection of Unitarian Universalist jokes that keep making the rounds and want to share them with you. And you can see what you think. Unitarian Universalists don't have ten commandments. They have ten suggestions. (laughs) Arguing with a Unitarian Universalist is like mud wrestling with a pig. Pretty soon you will realize the pig likes it. Hello. Why did the Unitarian Universalist cross the road? To support the chicken in its search for its own path. A little Unitarian Universalist girl was sitting on the curb in front of her house with a sad look on her face. An older lady happened upon her and asked why she looked so sad. The girl replied, my kitty cat died. The older woman, trying to be helpful, said to the little girl, I know you're sad, but right now your kitty cat is with Jesus. The girl crinkled her nose for a second and replied, what would Jesus want with a dead cat? One Unitarian Universalist to another when asked if they had read the Bible. Hey, started to, but I got halfway through and the hero died. (laughs) People used to say that Universalists believed that God was too good to send anyone to hell. And Unitarians believed that they were too good to be sent to hell. That's all for today. I'm here all week. Some of those still remain true, and some of those we've been trying to work on and broaden ourselves a little bit so that we don't maybe don't quite fit into the stereotype. What makes you, you, you? I was struck this week by an article in The Quest, which is a publication of the Church of the Larger Fellowship by the Reverend Stephen Jonathan. He begins by telling of a first meeting with cousins who came over from Iceland. They'd never met these cousins before. They just knew they were related and they invited them to come. And there was nervousness about whether or not they would get along, but then there was immediate kinship that they discovered upon that first meeting, and that washing away of all anxieties surrounding that moment, and the love and the kinship that only grew in the days that followed. Jonathan then turns to look at this sense of belonging and kinship in religious community, And he turns to the work of Rabbi Mordecai Kaplan, who was founder of the Reconstructionist movement in Judaism. And Kaplan taught that there are three possible ways of identifying with a religious community, by behaving, by believing, or by belonging. 
And Kaplan himself insisted that the primary form of Jewish identification is belonging, that intuitive sense of kinship that binds a Jew to every other Jew in history and in the contemporary world. Whatever Jews believe and however they behave as Jews serves to shape and concretize that underlying sense of being bound to a people with a shared history and destiny. Looking at Kaplan's model, we recognize that the shift in emphasis between these three factors in a variety of religions, the Puritan traditions from which we are descended placed great emphasis on behavior, and there was severe punishment for anyone who stepped out of the behavioral norm. And we may reject those sorts of harsh strictures on behavior, but our own history tells us of a time when a shift to an emphasis on behavior was a positive and expansive way of making more room for others in our faith. Our 19th century Unitarian forebears had a conflict. They now call it the issue in the West, which always makes me think of an issue wearing little stripy stockings. And, but anyway, um, this issue was over the basis of membership and who should be a member. And the New England Unitarians were intent on a common devotion to the Christian faith, that included devotion to God and acceptance of Jesus as a spiritual leader. And if you go to Unitarian churches in New England, a lot of them still are very Christian, have a lot of Christian symbolism. That is, a, that is who we are. That's a part of who we are. But the Western Unitarians supported what they termed an ethical basis for membership, something based on the way that we treat each other in community. It mattered less to them what people believed than how they treated each other and how they cared for their neighbors. Do we still recognize the importance of belief? Of course. Without an enforced creed, each one of us is called to embark on a free and responsible search for our own truth and meaning, to find what that means to us and to bring those beliefs back to the community, to be nurtured, to be developed, but also to be challenged and to be honed. And as our great religious educator, Sophia Foz, says, it matters what we believe. And yet we'd rarely exclude anyone from our community on the basis of belief, which brings us back to belonging. Judaism and Shinto stand out as two really important examples of religious traditions that emphasize the importance of belonging, a shared identity, a spiritual kinship, a belonging to one another that goes beyond what we may believe or how we may behave. And we may be tempted to see ourselves as lacking without that strong sense of shared culture. We have more and more youth and young adults who have grown up with us, but we are still um, a community of converts. But we only need to look more deeply to understand that we share a sense of belonging to each other and to all of humanity. There's a sacredness to that sense of belonging that we are creating here and that we seek to nurture in our children and in our adults. Jonathan goes on to maintain that all three aspects, behaving, believing, and belonging, are essential to any religious group that aspires to integrity. At different times and in differing circumstances, a religious movement might emphasize one aspect or another but an ongoing emphasis of one to the exclusion of the other two becomes an idolatry, a false idol. If behaving, believing, and belonging are not held together in some sort of creative tension, 
then we risk, as Jonathan says, we risk falling into the same sorts of idolatry that have led many a religious movement to the rubbish pile of human history. So we look to Earl Morris Wilbur's threefold slogan of Unitarianism, freedom, reason, and tolerance. Tolerance reflects our way of behaving. Our behavior is characterized by freedom. Our beliefs are built upon reason and our way of belonging is characterized by tolerance, or even, as I prefer to say, acceptance, or even, as I like even better, celebration. It matters what we believe. It matters how we behave. It matters that we belong. 